The Bible presents the story of all history from God's perspective. But in order to truly understand the events of Revelation chapter 6, as well as the judgments upcoming in Revelation chapter 7 through 20, we need to understand the world from the perspective of spiritual evil, Satan, fallen angels, and demons. So I'm going to give you the story of evil on this episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. We are continuing our study of the book of Revelation. We just wrapped up Revelation chapter 6, which again is the the six seals being opened from the with the idea that they are not judgments from God, but are actually a satanic deception. And we wrap that up, but in order to really truly understand that and to, and to serve as a bridge to the next few chapters where we actually get into the true tribulation judgments that we have all been taught, I want to just basically summarize and culminate everything that we've been talking about for the last few weeks by giving you just a full big picture story of evil. So are you ready for story time? So you can put away your Bibles. There won't be any scriptures on this on the screen this episode. I'm simply going to tell you a story, that story of evil. I will be using creative license. So just be prepared, sit back, relax and get ready for the story. And just a little hint, the good guys still win, even though we're going to be looking at this from the from the perspective of the bad guys. So here we go. Before anything else existed, there was light, the light of the Godhead, God the Father, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God, living in beautiful harmony. However, this harmonious Godhead wanted more. They wanted to share their glory with others. They wanted to make their own family. And so they created two realms, the realm of heaven or the realm of the Elohim and the realm of earth, the material realm. And in their heavenly realm, they created others in their own light and fiery image. They created other Elohim to occupy the Elohim territory, to occupy the Elohim realm. These were beings of intelligence, of light and of fire. We will call them angelic beings. These beings were magnificent, but of different rank. The lowest level were simply messengers or angelos or malachim. Then there were also warriors who were, had swords and armor and were ready to fight and defend and fight on behalf of the Godhead. There were also angelic beings who were put in charge of different aspects of creation. And there were archangels and princes. But the highest, when we get to, when we get to the higher levels, you had the angels that were part of God's holy council who would rule and counsel with him and be a part of his royal court on his holy mountain in Eden, Mount Zion. And even above those council were actually four, five angelic beings called the cherubim. These five cherubim were the guardians of the very throne of God, magnificently powerful. And the most powerful and magnificent of them was one called the light bearer, the son of the dawn or Lucifer. Lucifer was full of light and beauty and talent and charm. He was truly the pinnacle of God's creation to that point. He was a high priest and his job among others was to gather all the worthy praise of the rest of the angelic host and present it to the to God. And for a time, all was good. 
But something began to happen within the heart of Lucifer. He began to have rebellious thoughts. It may have begun with the praise, because that praise had power. Power he may not have truly understood, but there was just something about these powerful angelic beings giving themselves over to, to worship to the God, to the Godhead that just caused a tremendous power transfer. And Lucifer began to wonder about this power. And it may have began with a few angels giving him a little bit of praise, praising his own beauty and his own magnificence and his talent. But instead of turning that praise over to God as he should have, perhaps he kept a little bit for himself. He decided to accept some of that praise. Then after accepting more and more of it, he began to long for it to lust for it, to lust for more and more of the praise that rightly belonged to the Godhead. And in doing this, he didn't just lust for some of the praise. He wanted all the praise. He wanted all the praise that was intended for the Godhead. And in order to have that, he needed the praise of all the angels. He wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be like the Godhead. And he rebelled and he took some of his angels with him, some of those who were following him and they rebelled against God. And God judged them. He cast them down. And where there was once light, there was now darkness. And in his fallen state, this Lucifer, who is now the adversary, who is now Satan, wondered what God would do next. God recreated the world, but knowing that angels could not be redeemed because they were immortal. There was no way that they could pay the penalty of sin, which was death. God decided to make a new creature. He, he first he filled his new creation with all types of living mortal beings, animals and plants. Then finally, he made the pinnacle of his new creation, something called man and a partner to man called woman. These took the place of Lucifer on God's council. This man called Adam was now the new high priest of the earth. And yet Adam was created below the angels. He was mortal. He needed to eat of the tree of, of life so that he could keep living. He was not worthy, Satan thought. And Satan, in his anger and his jealousy over being replaced, decided to corrupt this first man and woman so that God would know that even these, his new creation, would not be good enough and maybe he'd accept Satan back. Satan tempted the woman, who in turn tempted the man, and they both fell. And rightly, they had to be cast out of the holy mountain of God as profane, just as Satan was. And so Satan figured he won. He showed what he showed the reality to God that there is that this man was no was not a worthy successor to him. However, that victory was short lived because in addition to justly cursing the man and woman, God also cursed Satan, the Nakash, the shining one, who would later be called the great serpent of old. One of the curses was that one of the descendants of the woman, the seed of the woman would be his ultimate downfall. Well, Satan couldn't have that. So he needed to make sure that he took care of anything that was considered the seed of the woman. And when man and woman had their first offspring, Cain, he inspired Cain to kill the second son, Abel. And with, with Abel dead and Cain corrupted, well, he figured he won again. Satan won because now the offspring of the woman could not be God's holy Messiah. However, man and woman, man and woman continued to have children and more children and their children had children over and over again until the earth was now filled with the seed of the woman. What was Satan to do now? As he contemplated this, other angelic beings, perhaps even led by Satan, looked upon 
the children of men looked upon God's new creation and they wanted that for themselves. They saw how these mortals who were, who were replicating something they couldn't do. They couldn't give birth to other offspring, but God had these offspring called humans who were able to populate the world. They wanted that for themselves. They wanted to have their own offspring who would worship them so that they could also be like the most high God. And so they performed a profane act. They came down to Mount Hermon, which was a gateway between heaven and earth. And they procreated with these women. And by procreating with them, they did create their own offspring, horrible, demonic giants called the Nephilim, who persecuted men, who, who destroyed the produce of men, and who began to devour literally men themselves. And after hundreds of years of proliferation, there was none left of pure human blood except for a man named Noah and his family. And it looked like Satan was about to win again. And yet God preserved Noah and his family, and he destroyed all of the children of these fallen angels. And he took the fallen angels and locked them up deep under the earth. Then after the flood subsided, man began to multiply again. And Satan noticed that man had a fatal flaw. He had deep within him the same note of rebellion as Satan himself had. He wanted to rebel against God. He also wanted to be like God. He did not want to worship God. And Satan used this to tempt man to build a tower, to build their own mountain of God, to build their own gateway into the realm of the Elohim. However, God would not let this stand. God came down and confused the languages of men and divided them up into nations, which he disinherited. God had had enough. He wanted no more of man's rebellion. He was going to make his own nation out of a man named Abraham. In the meantime, all the other men who were divided into nations, God decided to put the, some of his own angels, 70 of them, over these men to shepherd them. And God would, in, would then have his own nation that he would redeem the world through. And so for a while, it seemed to work. For a very short time, these angels came down and they tried to govern men justly. However, man in their rebellious nature began to worship these angelic beings who were put over the nations. And though these angels would at first tell man, no, do not worship us, worship God, worship Jehovah. However, they began to start accepting a little bit of the worship. And then more and more, they realized the power that came from the worship of man. And first they accepted it, then they began to long for it and lust for it and demand for it. And they rejected the precepts of God and they demanded that man worship them and call these angelic being by, beings by the names of, the, of gods. And they became people, entities like Molech and Baal and Ashtaroth and Osiris and Isis and Odin and Thor and Zeus and Shiva and Krishna. They gave themselves whatever names that were necessary in order to continue to get the worship of men, in order to continue to have that power. And they made themselves into the gods. And as their lust for that worship continued to grow, they continued to grow. They didn't just want the worship of the people and the nations under them. They wanted the worship of all men, of all nations. And thus, men began to war against each other. Nation would fight against nation so that the fallen angels could have dominion over more and more territories. They wanted to form empires so that they could have all men under their control. And so these wars of the angels raged, empires and nations fighting against each other, Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians, all vying for power. 
In the meantime, they really had no time to pay attention to what God was doing. After all, God only had one man. They had a nation. God has this, this guy, Abraham, who seemed to be too old to even make a family. Yet slowly, God began to bless him. God had him have a son of promise named Isaac. And Isaac had sons. And one of his sons, Jacob, had even more sons. And they became the 12 tribes. But still, nothing too big, nothing to be on the radar of the bad guys. They had too many other things to worry about. But these 12 sons and their wives continued to have children. And they went down to Egypt into a fertile plain of Goshen. And these dozen became hundreds. Hundreds became thousands. And suddenly, God had a nation forming in Egypt. Well, the angels, fallen angels couldn't have that. So they put them under slavery. They made sure that they were put into bondage. They even killed the firstborn to, to try to curtail the growth of this nation. However, God would not have it. God judged and destroyed the angels who were over Egypt through 10 plagues. And he set his people free and he sent them to live in the land of Canaan. But Satan and the fallen angels knew this was going to happen. They knew that God had promised Canaan to the descendants of Abraham. So they fostered more Nephilim to be in the land. And when the spies from Israel saw these Nephilim, they didn't want to go in. But God cursed them and said, no, you're going to go in and do what I told you to do. And he took his two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, and used them to inspire the rest of the Israelites to go in and conquer the land, which they did. And now God finally had a nation. However, he only had one nation. The fallen angels had many. So for years, they would fight wars of conquest with the other nations around them. And the fallen angels, knowing the corruption in the heart of man, would continue to tempt them to worship the other gods, to worship Baal, to worship Molech, to worship Astaroth, the queen of heaven. And again and again, the Israelites would fall and God would have to judge them. And so the fallen angels saw their path to victory, just continued to, to tempt the, the children of God, the children of Israel, to follow these foreign gods, who were obviously the angels themselves, until finally God would have to to completely reject them because that was God's holy nature. They would use God's justice against them. And true enough, after centuries of Israel falling and backsliding, God judged them and he took them out of their land. He took the northern tribes into Assyria and he exiled the southern tribes into Babylon. And now God no longer had a physical nation. And the powers of evil rejoiced. They finally had their victory. God's nation was defeated, they were judged, they were exiled, and it was no longer a true presence of God's people in his holy land. His nation was destroyed. And with the Israelites out of the way, the angels could get back to warring amongst each other for dominance. Empires would come and go. And God gave a vision to a man named Daniel while exiled in Babylon of the succession of these nations, of how it would go. There was a battle royale with Satan finally coming on top and with Satan finally gaining power over the rest of the fallen angels, he revealed how his plan would work, how the empires would succeed from Babylon, then to the empire of the Medo-Persians, and then to the empire of the Greeks, finally to a massive empire of Rome that would rule most of the world. And then finally, the, the Rome would have a final version of their empire that would mingle in the seed of the fallen angels with the seed of men. So you would have the angels, the fallen angels and Satan finally being worshiped 
under a single ruler, a messianic figure that Satan himself would spawn. And finally, all of humanity would be worshiping Satan and the fallen angels and God's defeat would be complete. And God showed this final plan to Daniel in the form of two visions, a vision of different types of, of a statue made of different types of metal representing those final empires, as well as a night vision of voracious beasts showing these same empires in all their evil demonic glory. But at the end of that vision, God showed that he would eventually defeat them. The, Satan and his angels didn't know how, but it didn't really matter because, again, they had won. Israel was out of their nation. They were separated. They were judged by God. And there was no way to redeem a man from his propensity to always fall and to always worship other gods. They would always be separated from God. and There was nothing God could do about it, or so they thought. Several things happened that the evil ones did not expect. First, the Persian emperor, Cyrus, decided to let them go back to their land. Didn't see that coming, but it was okay. They can go back to Israel. It doesn't matter because Israel will, Israel will still be under the dominion of the Persians and then later the Greeks and the Romans. So although they may exist nominally, they would never be the powerful nation that God wanted them to be. But then God did something completely unexpected something that the powers of evil were not prepared for in the least. They knew that the seed of the woman would eventually be fulfilled. However, they didn't know that one of the members of the Godhead, the word of God, would become a human being. God would impregnate a woman, a virgin by the name of Mary, with his, with his own essence, with the essence of the word of God, and that word will become flesh, become a man, and dwell among them. They had no idea what was going on here. They watched as the baby was born and began to grow. Well, they tried to destroy him. They tried to kill him through their agent, King Herod, and that didn't work. And because God had a hedge of protection around him, the child grew in knowledge and wisdom. And the satanic forces watched with curiosity as he became a rabbi and began to attract students to himself. But that did not stop him from trying to kill him. In his very first message, when he proclaimed that he was a Messiah, the evil ones inspired the more religious Jews to try to throw him off a cliff. Well, that didn't work. And they kept trying to defeat him intellectually, but they couldn't. He was way too smart for them. They kept trying to show that he was a false man, that he was not who he said he was, but they couldn't do it. And more and more people began to follow him. They, saw, they put their demonic entities after them, the, the spirits of their dead children, the Nephilim. But these demons were being cast out. This son of God in flesh who called himself Jesus had the power to throw the, these possessed demons out of the people whom they possessed, which only meant one thing, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God promised to Abraham was starting to be fulfilled. They had to get rid of Jesus. Satan tried to tempt him. He's, he tried to compromise with him and say, you know, if you throw yourself off this building, God will catch you. He tried to trap him that way. Jesus didn't didn't budge. He tried to get Jesus to uh, to profane God by turning stones to bread in order to satisfy his human hunger. He wouldn't do that. And then Satan offered him a shortcut that he would give him all the empires of the world, which Satan now controlled, and he could have he could have a shortcut to his kingdom without having to go through any of the things God wanted him to go through. But this Jesus still refused. So they had to kill him. 
They plotted for it. They couldn't do it until Jesus himself actually arranged it. He told his betrayer to go and fulfill his betrayment. He told the Roman, the Roman and, and Israelite soldiers that they were free to take him. He submitted to their trials and did not defend himself. He allowed himself to be beaten beyond recognition and to be nailed to a cross and crucified. And this Messiah, this Son of God, the Word in flesh, died on a cross and the forces of evil rejoiced. Not only did they have Israel under subjugation, but the promised one, the one who was supposed to be their final defeat, they defeated him. He was dead. But then some of the most surprising things started to happen. They didn't realize or they didn't figure that because they killed this perfect man unjustly, he didn't deserve to die. Unlike any other man, he had never sinned. So because he was killed unjustly, he was given life. God had to justly give him back life. He went down to the depths of the earth. He told the angelic beings who had fallen way back in the days of, the, of Noah that they were still going to lose, that they had not won as they thought they had. And then three days after his death, he rose again and justly had the powers of death and life. And he was able to offer that to anyone who would believe in him. Because he had infinite life, he could offer that infinite life to any man and give and, and allow those men to have a new heart. And all who believed on him were, was, were given a new heart, an immortal heart. A heart so pure that the Spirit of God could come and live inside of them. What they thought was their greatest victory turned out to be their greatest defeat because by unjustly killing the word and flesh, they opened up a pathway for man to actually be like God the way that they attempted him in the past, but in the way that God wanted. So now God could live in them. So now they could have God's holy mountain living within man. God could, man could now be on God's counsel and commune directly with God through this new heart that they received through the man Jesus. These believers or Christians were now the greatest threat to Satan's empire because of their new heart. They didn't worship evil. They did not rebel. They were humble and they were one with God. And as more and more of them began to believe and, and began to grow by the hundreds and thousands, the threat was too much. And Satan and the fallen angels inspired their minions around the world, their empires, to kill the Christians. But the more they persecuted them, the more they grew. What could be done? Well, Satan decided to use one of the oldest tricks in his, in his arsenal, compromise. He offered the Christians the same temptation he offered Jesus. I'll give you the world if you join me. And so they joined the secular world and built an apostate church, which was part Christian, part pagan, which of course meant that the pagans would win and the, and the church became very, very pagan. However, there was always a remnant of true believers throughout history who would be faithful and loyal to God. It was obvious to the forces of evil that they would not never completely defeat these Christians on earth. So they needed to be prepared for what was going to happen in the future. They knew that at some point they would lose the war they've been fighting with God's good angels over the centuries. And they knew they would lose. And, and they knew that in the end times, God would judge them. How could they use this judgment to their advantage to corrupt more of men? 
Well, what they did was they decided to start seeding this idea of the inevitable apocalypse and their inevitable fall to earth with, with the followers of their pagan religions. They knew the end was going to come. They didn't deny it. They told their followers that yes, the end was going to come. However, at the end, we are going to come down to you. We will be your gods and we will defeat the evil God, Jehovah, who has kept you in bondage all this time. We will be your ascended masters. We'll be your brothers from another dimension or even from space. We will be the ones who will save you. We are your saviors. And they knew that rebellious man's, rebellious man's heart would be ready to receive them as the new gods. And in the meantime, all they could do was try to slow down the inevitable, to persecute these Christians as much as they could, to, to excommunicate them culturally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, to water down their doctrine. However, Christians continued to flourish in waves. Sometimes they would do great, sometimes they wouldn't do great, but throughout this period of time, the corruption would grow until Christianity reached its weakest point. But as Christianity was, was waning and weakening, the war in the heavens was going poorly. They knew that they were about to lose. They had been fighting since the beginning of time with God's holy angels and the holy angels were about to win. Everything was coming to a climax. They knew at any moment things would happen that they were that they'd been preparing for. And then suddenly, abruptly, God decided that the fullness of his Gentiles had, had come in. He had decided that his church was complete. And in a twinkling of an eye, God called his church home. And with his church called home, his Holy Spirit was no longer active on the earth as, it in, as he indwelled men. Now Satan knew it was time. The day that they had all been waiting for had come. The Holy Spirit's influence was off the earth and it was time for Satan and the fallen angels to start their false apocalypse. The time was now. And that is the end of the story, or at least the end for now. It takes us right to where we are at the end of Revelation chapter six, as we talked about last week. So that's going to wrap up. That is the story of evil, but, it is all, but evil has had its day. Revelation chapter six is over, and now we're going into Revelation chapter seven. Revelation chapter 7 begins the setup for God finally judging these nations as he had promised and judging the angelic beings behind the scenes of these nations. As we talked about uh, a few months ago, the one of the purposes of the tribulation is for evil to be judged, spiritual evil to be judged. And it begins, begins with the opening of the seventh seal and Revelation chapter 7. And that's what we'll get into next week. So thank you for listening and watching. I appreciate it. Please uh, feel free to subscribe to Faith by Reason by going to faithbyreason.net and putting your uh, information into the right navigation bar. Also, please subscribe here on YouTube and hit the notification bell and the like button and all the other buttons you're supposed to hit to keep this message spreading. And next week, we will do Revelation chapter 7. In fact, I think we may be able to get through the entire chapter um, in one setting, unlike uh, chapter 6, with the... Uh, the 144,000 being sealed and just getting prepared for what comes next, which is going to be the trumpet judgments, which is the beginning 
of the judgment of God on the earth. So the tribulation in earnest finally begins and we'll talk about it next week.